And we are going to be looking at a parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. This is Jesus teaching in, Jesus would often teach in stories or parables. He would teach in ways that kind of tell a visual or an illustration to get them to understand. And a lot of it was about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And so this is one of those stories, the parable of the sower. And this is where we get the principle of sowing and reaping, or one of the places in scriptures that sowing and reaping is prominent. And this is the parable of Jesus talking, the parable of the sower. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to kind of go through this whole parable today. So I'd love to have you follow along in your Bible or, or the Bible on your phone if you have it, or it'll be up on the screens if we can see it with the sunlight blasting in here this morning. All right, so the parable of the sower, um, we're going to just start Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, and I'm just going to take the first couple of verses here, and we're going to kind of go through it a chunk at a time today. Verse 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 13, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So we're going to pause there for a moment. This is kind of setting up the moment. It doesn't seem to me like Jesus was prepared to preach a sermon or tell a story or a parable at that moment. It says he was going out. I kind of get by this, but he was going out to sit by the lake, kind of probably to try to be by himself a little bit. He had just been ministering. Um, there was all sorts of things happening. He probably needed a little downtime. And we see Jesus, this is an example of Jesus throughout the scriptures, is that he would take time to pray. He would take time to study the word and to have solitude. So I think this is one of those times. But as you can imagine, if you're Jesus and you're going around not only teaching but performing miracles, feeding people, healing people, proclaiming the good news, you're going to gather a crowd. So I think at this point, everyone's just following Jesus, and they follow him down to the lake. And so he sees the crowds gathered there, so he gets into a boat, and he begins to teach the people who would be gathered around the, the hillside there. So I would, man, that would have been interesting to be a part of that or to see that just because there's no sound systems. There's no like, I mean, Jesus is probably, you know, belting it out as good as he can and hopefully the people in the back can hear him. And, uh, but this is the moment where he begins to teach. And one other thing I want to point out about this setup is this, that this really is a different scenario than other times when Jesus would teach. If he was teaching in the temple or maybe in someone's house around a meal, those would be more like um, instances where status of people was important. So if Jesus was teaching at the temple, there would be a lot of religious rulers around him, and the religious types and the high society types and wanting to talk religion and, and God and the kingdom of heaven. If he was sharing a meal at somebody's house, that was often, you know, the who's who would want to be there to be seen and to be recognized. When Jesus leaves and goes down by the lake, the people that gather around him there are really going to be more like, for lack of a better term, the, the common folk, the common people. In fact, I read one commentary this week that the, the Pharisees, who would love to hover around the temple, they, they probably or most likely would not have been down there by the lake with the people because it would have been beneath them to hang out with the common people. Does that make sense? Like they would have just said, oh, we're going to stick around the temple and do the religious things. So this really is a moment where Jesus is seemingly on this at the spur of the moment teaching to the crowds who have gathered the common people the people who would have been felt like people who would have felt like they were on the outside um, compared to the religious pharisees in the temple so that's kind of the setup jesus begins teaching the parable of the sower we're going to pick up the story again in verse three it says this then he told them many things in parables 
saying, and then this is the story or the parable that Jesus tells. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears let him hear. So I'm going to stop there just for a moment. So this is the parable of the sower. Jesus tells the story of a farmer goes out, he's throwing his seed, he's scattering his seed, and it talks about the examples, and really this parable is about how and why certain people don't receive the word of God. So when you're looking at this parable, Jesus always has meanings to these stories that he's telling. The farmer is going around and he's throwing seed, he's scattering his seed. The seed represents the word of God. And so the word of God is going out, and some of it, and the four examples there, and maybe you've heard this preached in church before, the four examples are the first, the first example is some of the seeds falls on like the path where there's really no way for it to take root, and the birds come along and they eat it up. Now, a lot of times what you'll see in scriptures is that talking about the birds is often an example of a spiritual enemy or a darkness or the devil. Or demons. So this is what Jesus is referring to. The birds will come and snatch it up. So Jesus is saying some falls in a place where the spiritual enemy comes and snatches it up and it has no chance. All that to say, this first example points out this, that there is a spiritual element to our, a spiritual battle to our faith. We have a spiritual enemy, the devil, demons, the spirits of darkness. We exist in a world where, and the Bible's very clear on this, the world is way more than just what we can see, feel, and touch. There is a spiritual element. There is a spiritual battle at work for your soul. So this is, Jesus is giving us an example or an illustration of how this works. The word of God goes out, and sometimes it's just the enemy comes in and snatches it away. The enemy blocks people from, or is trying to block people from receiving the word of God. This is what our spiritual enemy is constantly trying to do in your life. So that should be eye-opening in and of itself this morning is there is a spiritual enemy that is trying to pull you away from God, to keep you from receiving the truth of God's word, to keep you from drawing near to God. So that's the first example. Those birds represent the devil, our spiritual enemy, trying and working to block out the word of God from taking root in your life. And the second one, was the seed that falls on the shallow soil, or the, like the, there's, there's not a lot of depth there. And it says the seed produced a, a crop and the plants sprung up, but there was no roots. There was no maturity. And so when the heat of the day came up, the plants just withered because there was no roots, no nourishment. So this would be Jesus giving an illustration of maybe someone who has a faith that springs up right away. Maybe it's an emotional kind of, like everyone's on fire for Jesus. It's like a, an emotionally hyped situation where, yes, I have faith, I have faith, but as soon as real life hits, then it withers away because there's no depth to their faith. This would be talking about a faith that has no maturity. It springs up, but it quickly dies out. The third one Jesus talks about is that there's a seed that goes into the ground and it grows up, but also the weeds grow up. And the thorns grow up. 
And if you look at my front yard, you can see this principle in, in reality is that there's little bits of healthy grass, but all the unhealthy stuff grows up and it starts choking out the healthy stuff. So this, I, I purposely keep my front yard looking so nasty just to make it a, a sermon illustration. Um, we see that if you've ever done gardening or anything else, it's like, oh, why these weeds seem like they're the quickest thing to grow. There is a story way, uh, maybe 10 years ago, Christy and I were in our house, and Christy wanted to, to plant a garden. I think she's told this story before. Forgive me if you've heard this. And so, of course, that's me. You know, it starts out with I got to rent a tiller in this back part of our yard. We, you know, till it up and get it all prepared, and then she plants seeds, and then we water it, and then all this stuff is growing up, and there's these things growing, and we're watering it, and she's like, oh, look at this. This might be the zucchinis or the cucumbers or whatever it was that she planted, and things were looking good. And finally, her dad, Roger, who goes to the church here, probably watching this morning, came over, and Christy was, you know, Roger grew up on the farm in Nebraska, and so Christy was pretty proud of her bumper crop, and, and Roger said, Christy, those are all weeds. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a good plant there, and hmm, there, and like maybe five, and then the rest was just weeds. And so this was, you know, this... It, Again, we wanted to be a sermon illustration, so that's why we did things that way. Jesus is giving an illustration of a faith that grows up, but the thorns and the weeds grow up and begin to choke it out, and there's no life left for faith. And Jesus gives this example to, to communicate this truth. There's a lot of times faith grows up in our lives, but it's the cares of the world. He would go on to explain this in the verses later on in this chapter. It's the cares of the world. We want to have faith. We have good hearts. We want to love Jesus, but we have too many cares of the world that are growing up with it, and it chokes out the faith that we have in us. Too many anxieties in our life, too many things that we love in addition to or instead of Jesus that chokes out the life of faith. And finally, the fourth example he gives. So he gave an example of the birds, the shallow soil, the thorns that grew up, and the fourth one is some of the seed falls on good soil, and it produces a crop. And, it says, and he says this, some, some of the seed falls on good soil and it produces a crop that is 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. Sometimes the word of God falls on good soil and it produces a crop. And here's what I wanted to point out as we're starting this today. The good soil. Now, if we look at these four examples, we all want to say, yes, I want to be good soil. I want to be good soil. I want to be that example I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to, I want to resist the spiritual enemy. I want to have a mature faith. I don't want to have cares of the world. I want to be good soil. So as I read this good soil part, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. How do you know if you are good soil? You are multiplying. There's multiplication there. The word of God is multiplying and producing fruit. So that is the way that we can tell if we are good soil, is if the word of God is in us and it is producing not only a crop in us or fruit in us, but it is multiplying. So a sign that you are maturing in your faith, a sign that you are the good soil, is multiplication. Is, is your faith making a difference? Are you, is your faith kind of reproducing itself in others? So this is a great example of Jesus teaching us that faith is not just for us. A mature faith is multiplying itself in others. A mature faith is reaching out to others. A mature faith sees a, a, a harvest that is more than just us. It's impacting other people. Does that make sense? So if we want to see a mature faith in us, the, according to Jesus here, the way to, under, or the way to, to realize that 
is our, is our faith multiplying? Is our faith making a difference? Is, it's not just for me. Is it making a difference in our world? In fact, later on in verse 38 of this chapter, Jesus will compare when he's explaining this because the disciples are a lot like you and me where I'm sure that in the moment when there's all the crowds around, they're just nodding like, yeah, that's good, Jesus. Amen. You know, say that, Jesus. Preach it. And then later on, they go, okay, what did you mean by that? They want to sound smart when their people are all around, but then they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. So later on, they go, and like, can you explain that to us? And so when Jesus is explaining it later on, he compares the good seeds actually then to people the people of the kingdom. He talks about the disciples and the people of the kingdom of God as they are now the good seeds where they go out and their lives bear fruit. They go out and their faith multiplies. They go out and their life produces a harvest a hundred, thirty, or sixty times fold. That is the faith that I want to have in my life, right? Are you with me? That I want a faith that produces a multiplying harvest. Party's going down. That's like, great party. You're all thinking you chose the wrong room this morning. (laughs) Later on, I'm going to, moving on, verse 10 of this same, so that's the end of the parable, and then this is when the disciples go and they ask, uh, why do you speak to the people in parables, and what did you mean by that? And so this is Jesus' explanation to part of this in verse 10 of Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he continues, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. So now Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see me with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So we're going to pause there for a minute. So I was reading and studying that this week. And the first part of the story where he's telling the story of the parable I'm like, yeah, I get that. I get that. And then I get to this part, and I'm just looking at it like, boy, this sounds weird. Like, I'm reading that, and I'm just like, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is, I teach in parables to kind of keep things hidden, because you guys understand it, and they don't, and that's the way I want it. It almost seems like he's saying, because they don't understand it, um, almost like the, if you're familiar with the parable of the talents, where the, the master gave things to invest, or gave things to his Uh, servants to invest, and to those who did invest, he gave more, and to those who didn't, he took what they had. And it almost seems like he's saying that here. It reminded me of that in that verse 12. Whoever has been, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He's almost, he's talking about faith in that moment. And so I was reading that this week and thinking, this sounds harsh. This sounds like Jesus is picking favorites, or he's just deciding for everybody, you're going to get it, you're going to receive this message, and you're not, and, it's, and I'm going to make it difficult for you. So even if you had a little bit of faith, you're going to lose it. And I'm going to take that from you and give it to the people who do have faith. This was difficult for me to understand. I've always had a hard time with this passage. So I want to jump into that a little bit, because it does sound like Jesus is picking his favorites and deciding for us who will receive and who will not receive. 
So to get a better understanding of this, I want us to look at what Jesus was quoting. So Jesus was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. So I'm going to flip to prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can flip there, and these will be on the screen as well. This is what Jesus was quoting, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Now, this is when Isaiah was being called by God to become a prophet, to go to, Israel, to go to the Israelites and proclaim God's judgment is about to come on them. And this is what it says in Isaiah 6, verse 9. This is God talking to Isaiah when he's calling him. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of his people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, turn and be healed. So this is the exact words that Jesus just quoted in Matthew chapter 13. Again, weird words. It's like God is calling Isaiah, go preach to the Israelites. And what's going to happen is their, your message is going to cause them to turn away. Your message is going to cause them to close their ears and close their eyes and not want to have anything to do with it. And I think, why would God want that? Why is Jesus using that as an example for the Israelites now? Well, Isaiah, when he was called, this was at the start of, a, this was at the start of his ministry. This was a moment when the Israelites were so deep into rebellion and idolatry and wickedness. So God had called Isaiah to go out and proclaim judgment. Isaiah's whole ministry was God calling him and saying, you're going to go out and give people bad news all day. That's a, you know, that's not a great gig. I would not want that. You're going to go out and you're going to tell people that judgment is coming and they are going to hate you for it. Here you go, right? Like, oh, can't I do more like the duckies and bunnies good news stuff? Like, this is going to be hard. But the whole point was God calling Isaiah to go out and proclaim that judgment is coming. And this message is going to cause many people to turn away, not because that's what God wants, but because God is going to use that to reveal the state of the soil or the state of their heart. God's going to use this moment to show the people how far they have turned from God. And now we have Jesus at the start of his ministry. As Isaiah was at the start of a reckoning where we were going to really find out who was in and who had turned away to be rebellious, Jesus is saying the same thing. Jesus is saying that his ministry is the same thing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to proclaim the kingdom of God. And many people are going to turn. Many people are going to realize the wickedness they have in their heart. And it's going to cause them to turn away, cause their hearts to be hardened, and their ears to be deafened to the, minute, to the word of the gospel. So that certainly applied to the, the culture of Jesus' day. And really, it certainly applies to our culture today, doesn't it? We send out the message of the good news, and we recognize not everyone's going to receive it. Not everyone's going to receive it. But this is what Jesus is drawing a comparison from Isaiah and now applying it to his ministry on the earth. So one concerning part that I have as we move on this morning, one concern I have is what we see in Isaiah and we see in Matthew as Jesus is talking is that it's possible that the more we harden our hearts to the things of faith, the more that we resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the more we turn away from the truth of the gospel, well, then it's easier for us to continue to do that. Does that make sense? The more we reject it, the harder our hearts are going to become. The less we listen to it, the more our ears are going to be deafened to the truth of the gospel. And we see this. It's, it's, 
a, almost a warning that we, if we turn away, we're going to be less likely to receive it. Not that God is going to be less likely to pour out mercy, because we see it at the end of that. He says, if they turn, I will heal them. He said that. Isaiah said that. God's heart is always for redemption. Whoever turns to God is going to be received and given mercy. But the warning here is, if you keep resisting it, it's going to be harder for you to accept it because you're getting used to turning a deaf ear, a blind eye, a hard heart. Your, your heart is going to be like that soil in the parable of the sower. It's going to be that hard soil that the faith, faith, of, or a faith in Jesus Christ does not take root. So I take that as a warning, and I want to give that to you today. Don't turn away from the things of faith. Don't harden your heart to the word of God and the truth of God's word. Because if you keep doing that, it's going to be easier for you to keep doing that. Does that make sense? Students, I know we don't have a lot of students in here today, but young people, kids, young people, if you're here in the room or you're watching online, this is a great season of your life to cultivate good soil in your heart, to be open to the things of God. That really sets the tone for the rest of your life. We got some parents here, some grown-ups here who are probably thinking, I wish I would have been open to the things of God when I was a teenager. That might have saved me from a couple of bad decisions along the way. But this idea, when you're young, this is a great time for you to cultivate healthy soil. Now, that's not to say you're never going to have questions about faith or doubts about faith. That's normal, and that's fine. God is not worried about your doubts and questions. But what I'm encouraging you today is just keep your heart open to the things of God. Keep your ears open to the things of God. Be open for the word of God to take root in your life. Keep that soil of your heart healthy so that when the word of God comes in, it has a place to take root. When we open up our hearts to faith, and this is what I get from Isaiah, this is what I get from Matthew today, when we open up our hearts to faith, God helps us receive and understand like that parable of the talents parable of the talents that when we are good stewards of what we had God have God will entrust us with more. I've always seen that as like the parable of the talents being God gives you resources and if you use those for good in his kingdom he's going to bless you with more. And that is a principle that takes place. But it seems like Jesus is saying the same thing works with our faith. If the faith that we have, we use it, we steward it, we, we use it to multiply faith in other people, we put it to good use, we allow the word of God to bring a harvest of righteousness in our lives. It seems that the parable is the same, that the parable of sowing and reaping applies where God's going to grant us more faith. I mean, that's what I'm reading here is like, as we steward our faith, God grants us more, that we can understand more, that we can take bigger steps of faith. And this is the life that I want. So this parable is not Jesus picking favorites. But rather, like Isaiah, he's, he's simply revealing the state of the soil, the state of people's hearts. So we're here today in the room, and maybe you're watching online, and I think we all probably fall into one of those categories, and maybe at times all of those categories of the shallow soil or the rocky soil or the healthy soil. And we fall into those categories, and I just encourage you today, cultivate that faith in your life. Be open to the things of God. Cultivate the soil of faith so that when the word of God goes forth, when God speaks to you, when the voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying, let's grow here, let's take the step of faith, let's have your faith make an impact in our world, that it falls on good soil and produces a harvest. Amen? Notice in these parables, talking about the seed, we're sowing the seed and the seed represents the word of God. 
If it, fall, if it doesn't produce a harvest, here's what I want to point out. The seed is not the problem. The seed is never the problem. Because the seed gets cast on a, on a stony path or a, a, plot, a part where the soil is all packed down and it can't grow. So if the farmer casts his seed and it falls on the path or the birds come and snatch it up and he says, oh, that seed didn't grow. The problem was not with the seed, right? The seed was good. Seed was good, right? The message of God, the truth of God's word is good. It doesn't always fall on soil that receives it, but it's never the word of God's fault that someone doesn't receive it. The message of God is good. I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks, and I mentioned this in a sermon a few weeks ago. The gospel is a a message of good news and has been for thousands of years. Think about what I mean. 2,000 years ago was when Jesus almost, you know, roughly, was Jesus walking the earth, teaching in these parables. And since then, think about how our world has changed over 2,000 years. Not just 2,000 years of history, but 2,000 years of cultures, different nationalities, nations, different empires that came up and fell, different eras of history that we study. Throughout every single one of those, this message of the gospel was producing fruit was landing on good soil. Think about that. A message of the scriptures that has been relevant and impacting over 2,000 years and 2,000 years of not just history, but nations and people, cultures. The word of God goes forth. It never needs to be changed or adapted. This message of good news in Jesus Christ is always and everywhere good news. That's amazing to me. This is amazing to me. The seed of the word of God is never the issue. The word of God is true and can be trusted and will bear a good harvest whenever and wherever. The conditions of the soil, however, the circumstances, the plans of the enemy, those are the determining factors. So our role as people of God, people in church today, our role is to make sure the soil in us is good. And then our role on the earth is to sow the seed, to put forth the word of God, to proclaim it boldly wherever we go, recognizing that this word of God will fall on good soil. It's not always going to be received well, and maybe you've experienced this in your workplace, in your families. Maybe you've uh, experienced this where you want to encourage someone or you tell them about the good news of Jesus or you want to share your faith and they're like, I don't want anything to do with it. That's fine. That's not your fault. That's not the message's fault. Sometimes people just aren't ready. Sometimes the seed is not, or the soil is not ready. Our role on this earth is to sow the seed of the good news. We sow the seed of the gospel so that as many as possible will hear, receive, and just like Jesus said, they will turn and they will be healed and restored. Amen? This is what we want to do with our life. There's a verse in Romans 1.16 that says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. And when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he's not saying first for the Jew and then the Gentile as one is more important than the other. This really was just how the message of the gospel went forth. It was proclaimed first to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people around the world. But what I want us to get is I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, what is it? It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is the gospel message. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel message. 
And when I was growing up, I would hear this verse often, and I think maybe in youth group it was often said, where it's like, you know, kids, you gotta, you got to not be embarrassed to be a Christian at school. you got to, you know, Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And it really, I took that meaning as when confronted, I shouldn't be embarrassed that I'm a Christian. I mean, and that's part of it. But really, the bigger part of this is we have the seed of the gospel message in our hands. And what are we going to do with it? Are we going to bring it into situations? When you're in a situation at work or at school or in your family where the truth of God's words need to be proclaimed, are we going to proclaim it? Or are we going to say, oh, I don't want to do it. They're probably not going to listen. Are we going to disqualify it? They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. They're going to think less of me. I don't want us to, to disqualify that in any situation. I want us to boldly go into every situation recognizing the word of God is active and alive, and in every situation, it is going to bear fruit. Amen? It's going to bear fruit. So we are not ashamed of the gospel message of Jesus Christ because it can bring a harvest. It can make an impact. It can change lives. So I want us to be a church that brings the seed of the gospel message into every situation. And I want to encourage you with this. Maybe there's unsaved loved ones that you've been praying for or a situation that you have been just praying for God to break through or someone's heart that you've been just like, God, soften their heart, open their eyes, open their ears. We want them to turn away from their life and turn to you. We want them to turn away from their life of sin and turn to you or their wickedness or whatever it is. And after a while, it just starts to feel hopeless. And you think, oh, maybe they're that rocky soil that's never going to receive the word of God. We had this uh, a few, several years ago, since I've been talking about plants and landscaping, since you already know I'm so good at it, there was this part where we were planting flowers and some of them were growing, but then right in the corner of our driveway, like right where the pavement of the driveway meets like the gravel, there was this flower that just sprung up. And I would try to water all the other stuff and barely keep anything alive. I never paid attention to this flower at all, and it just kept going. I'm like, this thing is resilient. In the worst situation, the worst soil, this thing just sprung up, added beauty to the light. We saw that that seed took root, and it brought life. It brought a harvest. I want to use that as an example for you today to encourage you that even the people that seem the furthest away or the situation that seems most hopeless the, the situation that you've been praying for for years and years and years, you never know when the word of God is going to take root in that person's heart, in that situation. You never know. You never know. It might look hopeless. It might look like rocky soil, and this is never going to work. You never know. So we are not ashamed of the gospel message. We boldly proclaim it, knowing that it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So we're believing for that for the people in our life, right? And we're all thinking of people like that, like, I want to pray for this person. I want to pray for this person. This is the power of the word of God. We are not ashamed of it. So here's what I want to close with. There's four things, four laws of sowing and reaping as we close here in just a couple of minutes. Because really, the sowing and reaping thing is a principle. We see it. And so here's the four, four kind of points from this parable of the sower, the laws of sowing and reaping. And the first one is this, pretty obvious. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. If we're planting grass, we're going to grow grass. If we're planting tomatoes, we're going to grow tomatoes. That's the law of sowing and reaping. Pretty straightforward stuff. And then weeds in there too, I guess. So if you're at the Kerr house. 
So the question is, what are you sowing in your life? As you walk through this week, what is your life uh, sowing into the world? What are you proclaiming? What are you investing in? Uh, How are you spending your time? What are you sowing into your life? Is it a life that you are constantly sowing this idea of freedom and generosity and love for others and proclaiming the gospel message? Or are you out sowing division and greed and anger, fear and anxiety? It is a principle that will work. What you sow, you will reap. This is how it works. This is how the universe works. So let's sow the good things. Let's make our life about bringing life to others. Amen? Second one is this. We reap in a different season than what we sow. So you plant seeds, it doesn't pop pop up right away. It's a different season that you come and harvest. The farmer will bring the harvest in in a different season than he planted the seed. All of that to say is it takes time. It takes time. Maybe there's an area of your life that you've been trying to just work on and God is working on it and you're just growing impatient. Maybe there is someone that you've been sharing your faith with or praying for or trying to bring life to them and it just is taking time. Have patience. There is a harvest coming. It takes time. We reap in a different season than what we sow, but never doubt that there is growth happening, that God is at work, that there are things, sometimes things happening under the surface we don't see that is going to lead to life eventually that we see. Third one is this. We reap in proportion to what we sow. So if you have seed, if you bought a big bag of seeds, it does no good to kind of keep it to yourself and say, well, I just got to protect it and just make sure I have this. We so generously. And I say this often when we talk about our resources. We want to live generous life. We reap in proportion to what we sow. If we sow generously, we will reap generously. And finally, the last one is this. Really, the most important thing we do is when we pick the seed. Picking the seed is important. Choosing what you want your life to be about is important. Choosing what you are going to base your life on is important. The seed that you choose to sow is super important because that is going to be indicative of the harvest that you receive, right? So what is your life about? What are you investing in? There's a harvest coming from the seed that you are sowing. What harvest is it going to be? Is it going to be all about you? Is it going to be all about the negative things? Or is it going to be the seed or the harvest that brings life to everyone around you because you are sowing generously the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we multiplying? Are we tending to the soil in our lives? What we put into this world will bear a harvest, so let's choose the right stuff, amen? What we put into this world is going to bear a harvest, so let's choose the right stuff, amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have together to look into your word. And I thank you that you um, have invested in us this gospel message, that you have redeemed us, that we received the, the invitation of faith. And so now our past is forgiven, our lives are transformed, and now we live for you. And we thank you for that gift of mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. And Lord, now we want to make the most of it. We want to make the most of it. We want to be multiplying disciples. We want to be people who are out in the world sowing life, the truth of the gospel, sowing the good things so that we can see a harvest one day. So I pray that you would challenge all of us to take stock of not only the soil, the state of the soil in our hearts, 
but to take stock of how we are sowing this seed, how we are making a difference in our world, how we are multiplying our faith. We want it to be alive. We want it to make a difference for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.